It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are talking to an author. We love the title of their book. It is The Art of Insubordination. Todd Cashton, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Hey, good morning. Thanks for being I, interested in the title. I appreciate it. I, I I was I was drawn to it because I feel yes. I'm very I, I'm a rule follower, but also I have a streak in me that always wants to be insubordinate as well, especially when I know that things it are on right. How smart the rule is right. Like if the rule is stupid, ones. exactly. If the rule is stupid. I'm like insubordination. So <laughs> um, <laughs> that's that's just me. Um, so first, I think. Um, for everybody at home, set set this up for us. Like, how should we start thinking about insubordination since it has such a negative connotation? I mean, how can we sort of reframe it um, for our for for the purposes of of I don't know making Just living our better. Life, yeah, being yeah. better, yeah. making world, life better, doing your own thing your own way. Exactly. Facts. I'm so glad um, that you said what you did, Zerlina, because. I'm going to, in a second, you're going to see that you are more insubordinate than you think. And it was designed Ooh. to kind of take a sexy negative term and flip it into a positive because it is. I mean, in a nutshell, it's about the dominant social order. Anytime you refuse an order, you think a social norm is absurd. You think someone's thoughts are absurd. You think um, the hierarchy is strange and makes no sense whatsoever. You're engaging in principled insubordination anytime that you're authentically and genuinely disagreeing because you recognize the wrongness other people aren't uh, you know, acknowledging, or you're trying to contribute to a better self in terms of your own well-being without interfering with someone else's or making the world better. And there are some norms that are absurd. The idea that I'm raising three daughters and they're supposed to be the hunted waiting for a guy to ask them out. Or if you have a kid and you go to Target and you see these onesies where it says baby killer. No, I'm sorry, not baby killer. Sorry. It was a lady, <laughs> lady, lady killer. Yes. Lady killer, right? As if, uh, you know, a a guy's automatically heterosexual at age one, and they're going to be trolling through bars looking for people for one night stands. <laughs> it's crazy. I can't okay, believe wait, somebody so, would make that. <laughs> so we can be, so insubordination is basically, it's not, it's, this doesn't just have to be a workplace tool. This is like a way of understanding how life is organized. Yeah. And like, I don't know if you signed on early enough to hear us talking about how stupid white supremacy is as, <laughs> as a general like organizing concept. It's just quite dumb. It's quite dumb if you look right. at it. And the people who participate in it are also quite dumb. Now I'm not employed by those people. So I don't feel like I'm being insubordinate when I say that, but, but am I? Because that is the, the sort of guiding principle of, of a lot of the world is that well, white supremacy well, is like an okay thing to think. Yeah. So so I'm not pro-white supremacy. Thank you. Um, so I assumed. I, I just guessed. Yeah. Yo, he, so here's why, here's why, you know, Jess and Zerlina, it's actually a little bit insubordinate to say that because you're talking about, sadly, hundreds of thousands of people that you're going to lose listeners by saying that. And so the willingness to take risks 
um, even if you're talking about a subgroup or an individual who has some level of power to ruin someone's life or to control someone's life is an act of bravery. And we, you know, it's worth acknowledging is that some of the things that some of the times we are blind to the fact that we are courageous, but because it's so natural and effortless to us, we don't define it as part of our identity. And part of this book is to give the tools to people to edit their narratives to see people are much more courageous than they are. They just say, oh, no, no, well, that, I was able to do that because it's my cousin. That's why I was able to say, listen, right. um, don't proselytize about Scientology at the table. Like this is the seventh consecutive meal. You've said that. So they discount it <laughs> or you have someone in class right? You'll have a, a prototypical 21-year-old undergraduate student who says, listen, professor, I think you're wrong. I read, on, I read the book and that's not what they said. And they have that high-pitched voice or that whispery voice, <laughs> yep. but it's an act of bravery because I've got alphabet soup after my name. And if you were to question what I'm saying with confidence, that's an act of bravery. And we have to notice that because we build on the moments where we choose to make an approach move instead of an avoidance move. Hmm. Ooh, can we unpack that? What, so what's yeah. an, what is an example of an approach move? And what is an example that is an avoidance move that we do often? Because I know yeah, that I, we definitely do the avoidance thing. Oh, people avoid all kinds of confrontations. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. And, um, and I really, and I'm glad you're bringing it to the everyday mundane level because we could talk about whistleblowers at Facebook and Alexei Navalny in prison in Russia. But I do want to hit for the, the listeners, like the everyday things is that as we walk through every day, you can almost imagine like a video game where it says, do you decide to approach that really cool looking person who's wearing your favorite band t-shirt? You know, for me, it might be the Pixies or it might mm -hmm. be, you know, it might be, um, you know, Iron Maiden is that, or do you say, you know what, they're probably enjoying their coffee and don't want to be disturbed or interrupted, even though they're by themselves. Or when you see someone that, when you see someone knock someone's uh, briefcase out of their hands, do you say something? Do you go help the person or do you be the, the bystander who sits back and just watches this interesting thing unfold? We have these moments all through our day where someone says something sexist or ageist mm -hmm. or someone says, you know, or someone says, um, you know, everyone that's conservative, they're an idiot and we should ignore them. And you're, and you're and thinking to yourself, that's a pretty broad generalization. I know a lot of conservatives who are an amazing people and are really principled and have real good reasons. And they're, you know, they're not saying that they hate people that don't look like them. So when you step in and you speak up in these moments, they are momentary acts of approach where you're choosing to act despite the presence of anxiety and fear. Okay. But, but they're scary. <laughs> so yeah. How sure. do, how do, how how do we manage like when you see like like the briefcase example is a good one because like it's an obvious wrong like you can you see that and you're like yep I got to do something but and that's yet most scary people don't. Uh, like so how do, how do we how do we reprogram our brains so that it is you you don't stop yourself from saying or doing the right thing in the moment because you are afraid of consequences can we so great let me give one psychological tool and then one reframing okay. so one is and i also think about this of you know training the next generation as you have to train people to anticipate these moments even talking about courage as a bunch of choice points between approach and avoid is a reframing of oh i'm looking forward to a moment 
where I get to show my fortitude and I get to showcase that I can do stuff despite being worried or anxious what people think. That's a reframe about how you walk through the world. One skill that helps you with this is what's called self-distancing. And so I might say to myself, well, if, if my best friend was in this situation, what advice would I give them? And immediately you'd be like, oh my God, first of all, I would curse out the person who walked away. It's kind of like a hit and run pedestrian mm -hmm. situation. And yeah, then second is, I don't care. I would tell them, listen, don't worry about other people, strangers looking at you and watching as you're picking up their papers and helping them. Like, who cares? You don't even know them. You wouldn't ask their opinion about your love life. So why right, would you care right. if, if they look at you? Um, probably they're probably just jealous of, damn, I wish I was the one who got on one mm -hmm. knee and actually helped somebody. So that's one in terms of the reframing. The self-distancing also goes to thinking about um, what would your what would future Jess and then future Zelina say to themselves if they didn't do something, if they chose inaction? And so if you separate your future self from your current self, you start to be a little bit more risk prone as opposed to risk averse because you want to have good memories. You want to have good stories and you want to make sure that, you know, when we get 70 and 80 that, you know, we're actually sitting in our rocking chair drinking Hibiki whiskey that we're like, you know what? I did some cool stuff. Whiskey. Yeah. Such a good whiskey. That's the most important part of this entire <laughs> True, interview. I mean, truly, like, I'm sorry, you said Hibiki, and so my ears are just like, I'm sorry, now I'm, now I'm on the Hibiki train. Okay, no, this, this makes sense. This makes sense. I like, I like the, like, planning for the moment. Yeah. I like, I, the things that I regret the most are the times that I didn't do a thing. Yes. Like, those, those are the ones that I, like, I still think about, like, the moment where I realized slightly too late that something bad was happening and I did not turn around. Like, I still think about those moments. Like, I don't really think about the times that I did speak up when I thought that, okay, so now let's put it in the workplace. Like, that's that, that gets a lot trickier. Like, insubordination is usually a word that we hear in that term. That's um, right. What happens when our, uh, you know, physical or physical safety or financial security depends on us more or less towing the line? Like, is there a place for insubordination then? Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, there were so many cases over the past couple of years. You know, there was that woman in Florida, Rebecca Jones. It said in the media um, she's being fired for insubordination in Florida because she refused the governor's rules to uh, give fake data on the COVID counts that were happening there. And then, you know, you had government officials break into her house with a warrant and steal her computer equipment and um, she was fired. You know, so there's a few things here. One is we have to recognize that part of dissenting means you are going to have a, a short-term detraction from your well-being. What's good for the group is often bad for the individual in the short term. And so when you point out sexual harassment in the workplace, abusive leadership in the workplace, getting bombarded by emails at 3 a.m. that say urgent, you know, that's just dozens of them in a row, these kind of behaviors, to say something about them, you're going to experience at the minimum a little bit of loathing. And at the maximum, you're talking about being ostracized by speaking something. But you have to it's good to expand the time horizon and expand the breadth of who you can influence and say, if I notice this and I have the temperament to handle this, at least right now, I want to make this better for me 
and also for my colleagues and my coworkers. And that's why people take stands is because they choose the rich, meaningful life over short-term happiness. And we have to recognize that everything has trade-offs. If you say nothing, just, just as you said, like it's haunting. I remember working on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange right before the Wolf of, right after the Wolf of Wall Street. So it wasn't wacky and crazy, but it was still relatively crazy. Yeah. And, and I remember being on the floor and these guys, the way that they would leer, I was, I was like 18 or 19, that they would leer at the women that were standing on the floor of the stock exchange, put their arms around them, um, ask them out, um, you know, comment on their bodies. And I was 18. I'm just, I was just learning the workplace and it right. haunts me that I didn't step in and be like, Hey, 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 guy, 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 easy, easy, not <laughs> right. your property not your body like dude you're good i could have made a joke about it playful about yeah. it which is a great yeah. strategy yeah, for diffusing the challenge of a situation and then they would and then they would direct you can imagine the hypothetical here that they could direct their attention to me say something asinine to me and all of a sudden now the attention's off them and now we're kind of playing you know j verbal jujitsu together i could have done that and you don't want you, the regrets that you described of what you wish you said they're useful because they are launching pads in our brain, bolded and underlined to say, next time I'm going to be, I'm a hero in waiting. I'm waiting for the <laughs> moment to redeem myself and become, you know, the strong person that I know I am. I love that hero in waiting. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I'm very good. I mean, I have a joke in my head that like one day I'm going to write a screenplay where the character does all the things and says all the things that like, are in the story that you tell after like, oh yeah, I was thinking this, but like, and people are like, you said that? And you're like, no, but I would have, no, you know, like, but it. the character that I write is the person that says all those really amazing comeback lines. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, that would be a really fun character. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to ask about is how to manage the, the uncomfortable feelings that we get when, when we're doing the confrontation or leading up to that confrontation. Cause we talk a lot about on the show about sitting in your discomfort, which I find mm -hmm. like a really helpful exercise and too many people avoid discomfort. And that's why the status quo is what it is because we have too many people walking around avoiding, um, going back to the avoidance point. So how do we manage the discomfort we, we're feeling and the, that anxiety leading up to the moment where we're being insubordinate, but in a constructive way? Yeah, there's so much, Zerlina just, there's so many things in what you're saying. You know, it's just having, um, cocktails the other night with a friend and she was saying how she really wanted to tell her friend that the way she's approaching her dating life isn't working she knows it but the thing is um she can't resist kind of like uh kissing someone you know doing something on the first date even though she's trying to fall in love in a long-term relationship six seven times in a row and i said you know part of your job as a friend to tell them to be to be the therapist is one of your roles is like kind of like even though it's going to be uncomfortable and they might not want to hear it but the thing about dissent is often you don't make an immediate impact on somebody there's a delayed what i call sleeper effect yeah where mm -hmm. you kind of get in their head it's like a little you know a little brain worm that gets yeah. in there of like you know what like just was right you know i think the next time i'm going to make a firm advanced decision rule where I'm not going to kiss them on the first date. I'm going to tell them why, because I think I like you and I'm going to do it for the second and third. And just, there's no way to bust the rule. 
So it's, it's kind of like the heroine waiting in your, a different domain of your life, the romantic part of your life. So one of the strategies that, you know, in terms of how do you deal with this discomfort, because most people stop there, have, be comfortable being uncomfortable. One of the things that nobody will notice that takes a split second is called cognitive diffusion. Sounds like a horrible intellectual term, but it makes sense. It's as mm -hmm. if the, the ugly thought that pops into your head, like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be saying this. Oh, you're not smart enough to, to raise your hand and make a comment. Um, there must be something you're missing or why would everyone else be listening to the boss and actually no one's criticizing their ideas? It must right. be me. Right. So your brain does that. So the diffusion, it's like licking your fingers for that little bomb in a, you know, Wile E. Coyote cartoon, and it is sizzling out the fire. And the diffusion strategy is this. You add in front of your thought. So your thought might be, I'm not attractive. I'm not interesting. I'm not smart. Be more accurate about it. What you're actually saying is, I think I'm not intelligent. I think I don't know what I'm doing. I think I'm not sure about my idea, but then it's even more accurate than that you can be. Now, this is all in your head that you're saying, you're, you know, we talk to ourselves more than we talk to anybody. I True. notice that I think I'm not smart enough to say something Whoa. right now. Yeah. And once you say that into your head, that little bit of distancing that happens there, you've diffused, you haven't gotten rid of the thought because that's a strategy that will take you out of the present moment. I've, I've carefully calibrated exactly the thought. I notice I'm having the thought that I'm babbling on this radio show and they want me to make shorter sound bites. When I say that, <laughs> all of a sudden, I'm like, my, my physiology, my nervous system gets a little bit more chill. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, this isn't you. It's not you that's on the line. You're just gonna say something. And that gives you a little bit more bravery and a little bit more anxiety unintentionally and so you get to speak your piece more often and nobody even notices you've done this crazy cool psychological technique. I think you just explained meditation to me in a way that I've never been able to understand. Cause like I do yoga and occasionally you do like a brief meditation at the beginning or the end. And I suck at that part. Like I, I know I'm just sitting there thinking about what I'm gonna do when I'm done. And they, they always say, if, if a thought intrudes, notice it and let it pass. And I'm like, what, wh how, what is that? Like, how am I, how do I know? Okay, all right. I'm noticing that I'm thinking about what I'm gonna do when I'm off the mat. And then I go right back to thinking about what I'm doing when I'm off the mat. Um, the way you just explained it, I think is going to, like, I notice that I'm thinking about my to-do list right now. <laughs> yeah, then, so you're not, you're not out. going into, you know, the octagon and a mixed martial arts arts right. fight between just the, the overly conscientious person who has to get stuff done and just the almost potential meditator. Right. Um, the, so there's not a battle there between the two. And I mean, one of the, you know, the hardest part of yoga is Shavasana at the end. Yes. When you're just laying there with your eyes closed because you fall asleep because we're all overtired. Yep, every time. Exactly. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this seems like incredibly helpful information for a country that like might possibly be sliding into authoritarianism. Cause like, there's a lot of people who live right now in places where the rules don't make sense. Right. And, and are probably deserving of some questioning. Um, how should, how should they be approaching that given the tools of, of insubordination? So, you know, and I, and I think about this, I mean, Again, raising three daughters, I think about every state 
that is trying to remove the rights of women to have autonomy over their body. And I think of what if you're 17 and your parents aren't really present, they're neglectful. Yeah. And that girl. And what if it ends up being that, you know, you happen to be the only person who's Jewish, who's Asian American, who's got left back a few grades that's in school, that's in your school. And how are you going to be feel as if you have a uh, sufficient power, sufficient status to say anything? You're just trying to kind of not be killed, crushed, bullied, harmed mentally, you know, mentally removed from people's lives. Um, one of the really, you know, I spent a whole chapter on this kind of reviewing 60 years of work on how do we create alliances? How do we actually form the relationships? And what I discovered is that there's this great body of research is when we think about what strengths we possess and we think about who's in our social network that I can count on for advice to, you know, for mortgages, because who wants to be an adult talking about mortgages and who's, who, who's in my social network that actually has some political connection so I can talk about, hey, like I want to kind of protest this legislation that's being considered. I don't want to do all the work myself. Who has time for that stuff? So we want to form we make a quick mental check of what strength we possess by thinking through the people that we trust in our lives, even if they're not physically present, that are also um, available um, if by one phone call or just, you know, just a couple of feet away from us to actually talk to. We actually, when we think about how strong are we, how wise are we, how knowledgeable are we, what skills do we have, we scan our close social network. And then if the people who are there were physically strong, mentally strong, like they would actually write an email on our behalf. They would stand in front of us if someone tried to rob us um, at a store or someone tried to shortchange us at a restaurant. We actually, our physiology is actually a little bit more relaxed and we're able to do more because we have them on our shoulder. We, we literally, our brains treat it as if they're inside us and part of our brains. And so that is the power of having an alliance. So we have to be able to form relationships with people who are not simulacrums of us and have the same views and beliefs and background. But this is the reason why diversity is valuable, is those diverse people means you're like the Justice League of America every time you walk out of your house. And if it was 60 supermen, well, you still have kryptonite, as everyone knows, that's how to crush you. And so you want, you want to bring those variety of people in. Choose people that expand yourself, not people that validate yourself. Oof. Oh, that, that is such a good way of putting that. Choose I people like that, that expand myself. <laughs> Extremely. I mean, one of the things we talk about on the show a lot is like the lack of critical thinking skills many people have. Um, and it's particularly in this moment of the pandemic. I mean... You know, we, we talked today about how white supremacy is dumb, but I also find, um, I don't know, like we're, we're watching this trucker protest in Canada where people are really mad about putting a piece of fabric over their face. And then I watch videos from Korea on YouTube and I'm like, none of these people are complaining about um, their mask ma masking mandates and they, they get national alerts on their phones when numbers go up and they've only lost a couple of thousand people the entire pandemic and yet still they are not complaining <laughs> about um, having to do these small things to protect their neighbors. Um, how do we make more people that are engaged in critical thinking skills? I mean, because I think some of this insubordination does come from a place of like, you have to sort of start with a questioning um, mindset. You're sort of 
always curious about how things could be different if they're not, you know, perfect. Um, and again, anybody, you know, who looks outside and points at the world can see that, you know, the way we have it set up isn't going so great. Um, <laughs> so how do we get more people to engage in that critical thinking that's necessary so that we can all be a little bit more insubordinate? Yeah, Zerlina, great examples. And every every two weeks has a, a six new ones. Um, it's this, there's a little bit of an irony is that there's never been a quicker time to have the entire world of knowledge at your fingertips where we can Google anything. And yet people seem to have a drop in actually thinking for themselves. Although actually I think it just explains why people lack critical thinking is I will go online and find the mm -hmm. answer as opposed right. to wondering, wondering, huh, can I get information on both sides, high quality information, not a straw man on either side to figure out what's happening. So let me offer the magic question to listeners, which is, and it has to come from a place of curiosity. So hear the inflection in my voice when I ask the magic question. Hey, Zerlina, how did, how did you reach that point where you believe that the truck drivers are in the wrong? I just want to know where you got there. How did and I so get there? Not, All these people yeah, are dead? <laughs> a so, lot of people are dead from a disease that is preventable with masking. <laughs> so, I, so I, I don't so, want anybody to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but you say like you know what? You know, so when you get it, when you ask the question from a place of curiosity and you make yeah. it open ended and you ask mm -hmm. someone, you're saying it's like, listen, I care what you think. I want to hear you. And now we're gonna we're going to meet at equals. Now let me be clear about this. There is no zero reliance that you have to agree or end with some or is agree with the other person or compromise because maybe the right answer is further to the extreme of where I am. Maybe the right answer oh, yeah. is further to the extreme of the other person. It's not just the middle. There's a big mistake about conflict analysis of let's compromise and find the middle ground. No, not necessarily. Sometimes we're both wrong and it's at the margins is the answer. What we tend to do is we can, what we tend to do is lack compassion for people that disagree with us. You know, there's this great documentary on Netflix. It's about flat earthers. And I encourage every, I think it's called. I love a flat earther. Oh, they're oh, the they're, best. They're fun. They're so fun. I know. They're the, my <laughs> God, <laughs> I would love to have a cocktail party conversation with half scientists, half flat earthers. Oh my God, that's so, such a fun premise. <laughs> and so there's this really beautiful scene where there's a flat earther convention and two doors down is a pub. And it's one of those like, uh, scientists speaking for five minutes while you're you know guzzling down your hibiki and there's this nasa scientist that says listen those people over there they love science these flat earthers they want mm -hmm. to understand the universe just some teacher some parent some figure they trusted screwed them up and gave them the wrong information and we have to have compassion of saying let me help them by, by reaching them in the place where they want to understand, they're trying to understand, they form this whole group of people. It's like a book club yeah. that's completely off the mark of right. trying to understand this. And like, can we meet them there? And I listened to this on this documentary. I'm like, this is it. And so when we meet someone who's a white supremacist, um, and I know that's a tough example, or we meet one of these truckers, might be actually a, a less sure. challenging example is if we're one-on-one -on -one with them, is to kind of really explore of like, hey, like, like, where did you reach this point? Because I've heard such different things 
from some really respected scientists. And I've heard some disagreement, but I'm actually trying to figure out like, what's the, what's the highest quality information that's out there? So now you're getting curious about exploring what they're thinking. You're having a conversation, not about information, but high quality information. Where does it come from? What's the actual evidence that's there? And, and, you've, and you've met them at a point where you're asking an open-ended question as opposed to how could you believe something so dumb, which is going to shut down a conversation. Okay, I'm going to be thinking about this for a very long yep. time. <laughs> Todd Cashton, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I wish we had a whole other segment to keep going. <laughs> the speed to which the two of you ask amazing questions makes me realize I need to listen to you every morning. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much. We think well, we, we, we like questions. I, I mean, we do. My nickname as a child was Little Miss Question. I feel like I have come into my own. <laughs> I've lived up to that. Look at that. Okay, the book is The Art of Insubordination, which is something that we all need to cultivate. Todd, thank you so much for hanging out with us this morning. We really no, appreciate thank it. Thank you. This was awesome. See you. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening.